Welcome and thank you for joining us on episode 12 of Research in Focus podcast series. My name is Poe and I'm a doctoral student and a research assistant in the Research Hub. I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sean Chorney today. Sean is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. So Sean's interest lies in the integration of digital technology into mathematics teaching. He's currently looking at teachers' development and the use of digital tasks to reorganize mathematical practice. So for today's podcast, we will be talking about the co a concept called gerrymandering, a demonstration of how mathematicians can raise awareness and imagination. So join us for the next 25 minutes for a fascinating discussion on how math is more than just numbers. So thank you, Sean, for joining us today, uh, today's podcast. Um, let's start with you telling us and uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself, your academic background, uh, your different research interests, and uh, specifically also what um, called you to pursue the research in your particular field. Well, thanks, Paul. Thanks, um, thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to be interviewed and to share my experience and uh, my research. I was a... Uh, a high school teacher for uh, over 20 years, in fact, in the Vancouver School District. So, and, and most of that uh, time I taught mathematics to um, grade, anywhere from grade eight to grade 12. During the last six years of that uh, career, I was uh, doing my uh, doctoral work at SFU in mathematics education. And actually to backtrack even more, back in the late 90s, I did my master's at, also at SFU in mathematics education. And so through my whole career in teaching mathematics, doing my master's in math education, and then my doctoral work, it's definitely been a focus of mathematics, uh, focus on mathematics learning and teaching. And it's interesting because as I sort of reflect back on my career and my um, trajectory, I look at my high school teaching and I, I think, you know, I probably did more research in that 20 years than I did at SFU for the last 10 Partly because as a teacher, I, I was always trying new things. I was always sort of uh, evaluating my practices, uh, thinking about uh, assessment, thinking about how to improve the learning of my students, um, refining instruments, and just sort of always uh, exploring new ways to teach mathematics. And in a broad sense, that's ultimately my focus in my research still to this day is how to support the learning of mathematics of students, how to let them see that it's more than just algorithms and practicing, um, and that can actually really enhance their, their, um, the way they view the world and the way they experience the world. And I think that's so interesting because when you, when you think about mathematics or, or you know, um, when you say the word mathematics to, say, high school students, I think the first thing I would be guilty of that. The first thing that you would think about is your pure numbers. You know, you're, you think about um, sheets and sheets of practice um, equations and calculus and things like that. You don't often think about uh, mathematics being in the same bin as creativity and imagination and, you know, all that sorts of things. Um, can you speak a little bit more about how maybe in that 20 years or in the 10 years of your research is that how these 
uh, different areas of say imagination and creativity sort of percolated in math? Well, it, first of all, it is, it is funny though. I think, I think I agree with you fully in that typically when mathematics is brought up in the media, in some kind of social setting, um, it, it is instantly um, seen to be this, this sort of number thing, this, uh, you need to know your multiplication tables and you need to know um, how to do your taxes. And um, sometimes Pythagorean theorem is thrown in there as well. <laughs> so it is quite interesting at how mathematics is typically associated with that kind of thinking. Um, as I said earlier, in the late 90s, I did a, um, my master's in, at SFU. And my thesis was uh, studying my own classroom work in the area of open-ended math problems. And, um, you know, I, I've always really liked math problems. And, and actually, for the last 15 years of uh, my teaching career in high school, I almost always started my classes with a math problem. That was just a really great way to warm up. Um, a great way to sort of just scan the room and see how students are doing. And, um, and then they engage in this math problem. And I found that over the years, um, by giving problem after problem after problem to class after class after class, that I was starting to realize that the more uh, ambiguous and the more open-ended and the more, the more ill-formulated form the problem was, the more en enriching the sort of follow-up discussion was. Uh, because it allowed students to sort of, well, talk to each other and negotiate and think about how they could interpret this open-ended math problem. And my master's thesis was focused on exactly that. It was focused on how do students engage with open-ended math problems? How do they interpret them? How do they engage with them? How, do they, how are they motivated by them? And um, it was a very successful um, research uh, study. And... Um, so when you ask the question of, you know, how does creativity and imagination come into mathematics practice? Well, these open-ended math problems opened up a world of, you know, how are you going to, um, what, what is it in this problem that you're going to value? What kind of constraints are you going to consider? Um, what kind of um, ways, uh, what, what ways can you mathematize this scenario to make it um, meaningful? So, I, and, and I found that students loved it. They had the opportunity to, in a sense, um, express themselves. They, they, they were part of the problem because, because it was ill-formulated. They had to, in a sense, sort of add constraints and ideas so that um, they could solve it. And um, yeah, some of the, the, the ways they presented these problems were very creative. And I guess for me, the, the, the other word that comes to mind is that it's relevance, right? Like relevance to the students' maybe life that they see in your daily life, but the application and things like that. And um, I mean, having those more open-ended questions could be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is that could be more applicable or relevant to, you know, compared to looking at a sheet of equations that you have to practice. How, how, yeah. does, that, um, how does that relate, if it relates to, the, to, your, to your concept of gerrymandering about you know, the raising of awareness and, and things like that. I think before I get into the gerrymandering part of the question, I think that the relevance is, as you say, more to do with um, the kind of activity they're engaging with. Um, so that you're right, a sheet of equations and a request to, um, to balance those equations or to solve those equations 
um, is, is, is very much disassociated with what they're going to end up doing in the real world. And so while the open-ended math problems that I've given to my students, um, and even the gerrymandering um, uh, problem that I'm going to talk about in a moment, they, they, they're still somewhat um, not fully reflective of the real complexity of what one experiences in the real world. Um, it's, it's really almost impossible to, to, make it, to make it truly real, but at least it's an attempt, right? It's, it's the opportunity to at least see that, well, you know, maybe there is this connection between mathematics and the real world. And so from that perspective, I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's more relevant. Um, but again, not because of its reality or its uh, proxy, close proximity to what is actually in the real world, but just because of the fact that they have to interpret, they have to um, discuss, and they have to negotiate. I think th those are sort of curricular and core competencies that are sort of elaborated in our curriculum. And, and uh, when students have those opportunities, I think that they can really enrich their mathematical uh, education and their mathematical thinking. First of all, gerrymandering is the uh, partisan manipulation of electoral boundaries. So it has everything to do with voting. And it's, it's about how districts lines are drawn um, and around what kind of populations. And it's actually a really interesting uh, area of, of study. Typically gerrymandering, which is illegal, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a negative practice, it's, it's pejorative, um, the term, and it's, it's a bigger issue in the states because the ruling party of a particular state has control over how district lines are drawn. In Canada, it's a nonpartisan organization that draws boundaries, but still it's a little bit tricky as to what constitutes gerrymandering versus fair districting. And that therein lies where I believe the mathematics is. See, gerrymandering, if you read about it in the newspaper or in a magazine, it's typically presented in a political way. Um, and it's, it's always almost described in a negative light, um, which it should be, but the true question is how do you determine the difference between gerrymandering and just general district lines? And that is where I think um, mathematics plays a role. I think gerrymandering is actually a mathematical topic in and of itself. And the reason I think that is because the only way to determine the difference between gerrymandering and regular districting is through mathematical analysis. How else can you determine it? How, if you are given um, a scenario where there's um, some kind of weird result where maybe greater than 50% of the population voted for one party, but the other party won, well, that, that does happen naturally. It's, um, it, it, it's happened actually in both American and Canadian elections. So it's not that surprising. So then how do you know then that the lines have been manip manipulated? So one of the things I've done with this uh, particular topic is presented it to um, students and teachers. I give them a table, just a simple geographical area that has two different parties and we outline different ways to district the map or this, this grid. And actually it's interesting because with the exact same um, population, you can draw boundaries so that one party wins seven to two. And if you draw it, the districts another way, you can get the party, the other party to win eight to one. And that's a significant sway right? Seven to two to eight to one from, for opposite parties. 
And again, no change of population. And that just shows the power of what districting can do and how important it is to draw your district lines fairly. So we're outlining areas and we're, just, we're trying to describe ways of surrounding um, certain populations. And we discuss things that are relevant to uh, districting, such as equal population, uh, equal area, um, different metrics to determine how one can evaluate whether something's been gerrymandered um, and things like that. I don't know how much more you want me to get into, but, but yeah, as I said, I think gerrymandering is a mathematical topic at its foundational level. It can be political, it can be social, it can be historical. And these are all very important perspectives for this particular topic, but it's also mathematical. Can you speak more towards that? Because, um, I mean, the, the immediate thought that comes to my head is um, like, you know, mo modeling, right? Like if it's how, like the, the precision, the accuracy and things like that, how does that play into um, like gerrymandering? Because I guess in the end, even though you're using it as uh, it's mathematical, in the end, isn't it all, it's, it's, a, it's a mathematical model and it may be wrong, may be correct? First of all, gerrymander, uh, districting in general is not an exact science. Um, it can't be precise. Uh, people are moving around all the time. Um, immigration, change of population, uh, geographical change. You know, the fact is, I mean, rivers, mountains, um, uh, roadways all have a bearing on how district lines are drawn. So it gets very complex. And, and actually in, in real life, uh, Jerry, uh, district lines are drawn through computer algorithms. I think your question, you're asking whether or not um, we're modeling. I guess the difference between what I'm suggesting and modeling is that modeling is to try to capture as much of the reality of a situation as you can in some kind of equation or um, mathematical computer program or something like that. Whereas, yeah, yeah. whereas I'm actually trying to simplify the situation to a point where you are engaging in drawing districts. Yes, in a very simplified form, but within that simple environment, you're able to identify what variations there can be and what um, results can occur with certain decisions. And so it's almost like a, a personal uh, experience of drawing districts that allow you to then play and think through the ramifications of certain decisions. So my mathematical sort of activities that I give to students are typically very simplified. If someone were to point at it and go, well, that's not really gerrymandering because you're not including this, this, or this, I'm, I would say, yes, I agree with you, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to get students to engage in doing it, even as simple as possible, but to then understand its, its uh, consequences. I think this moves us to our next question about, you know, maybe if you can share with us some of the key implications of your particular work in this area um, for the community. And, and you've touched a little bit upon um, its implications in the classroom with the teachers and the students, but uh, let's zoom out a bit and see what are the implications of your work on the community itself? I don't think I have a good answer for that other than the fact that by working with high school students, you are strengthening the community in the sense that they, they are going to graduate and they're going to be part of the community. And they, in their awareness of what's going on with voter um, 
suppression um, will then be that they will be aware of it and they can convey it to others. Uh, so far, now much of this work and this research is fairly new, and so uh, still working on it. Um, and so the community engagement aspect hasn't really been established quite yet, other than community being our schools, and I'm going into schools. But in terms of your question is specifically, how does it affect the community? It's just simply educating um, people to be aware that there is a mathematical sense to this kind of topic and other social problematic social issues. Right. And, and I think this also brings, I guess, brings back to what we talked about before about, you know, the possible relevancy for the students when they, when they participate in your activity. And you mentioned that although it's simplified, is that it's, they're, they're actually practicing it and doing it. And then hopefully they can actually relate that to when they graduate from school and actually see, uh, maybe see patterns of how what they've learned through gerrymandering that could actually apply to their real life. Yeah, the students I've worked with have really engaged with this topic and they've re really been, in a sense, made aware then of looking at their own district um, lines for their uh, area. And it, it's interesting, they're, they're very quite shocked that it's not just simple little squares applied to the map, but actually these, these, these districts are um, wilds in some sense, in the sense of their uh, boundary. You know, they have long stretches of, of um, land in one direction and loops over here. It's, it's interesting. So just being aware of that in and of itself and just going and researching on their own, I find that very um, inspiring that they've really taken to this topic. And I feel that it's so fitting too, because I mean, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, right now in, in the States, the, the lines are drawn differently. And um, the, the time that this podcast is, you know, being done is, is that in, in our province of British Columbia, we're going through an election process. Um, and in the States, there's an election process, there's election yeah. things going on. Yeah. So I think this is such a fitting topic right now, because um, it is about getting, you know, the, the younger students out there to understand even if it's, you know, the, the district lines, it's that to get them to be even interested in that process of politics, in that process of understanding what it means to be within a certain district, what it means to, you know, um, when, when they vote, what, what does that mean? So yeah. I think that has a lot of really neat implications, especially during this time when, the, when we're doing this podcast. And um, yeah, another question I have is that you also talk about how mathematical approaches can be used to maybe reimagine or imagine um, alternative approaches to problematic social issues. And I'm really interested in learning more about that. Well, the, the really nice thing about mathematics is that, in a sense, it is disassociated with the real world. It, it doesn't have that attachment. If you did a physics problem, for example, and you have a free-falling body, you have to take into account gravity. That's just expected. It's, it's an assumption that, um, that physics classes have in their general sort of approach to problems. But in mathematics, you can ignore all that. And so in a sense, when you are playing with different districts, let's say, or um, looking at um, graphs of climate change or um, data from um, racial profiling or, or just profiling data, you can play with the data um, and mathematize it to, again, by, by, by varying the data and playing with the mathematical uh, articulation of what might be going on, 
you can go some really crazy and take things to infinity. Um, you can ignore some things. You can, um, you can ask what if questions. So what if this were not present? What if this number was 15? What if this area was twice as large? And these are mathematical questions that allow you then to explore the consequences of your, um, of your mathematizing. And, and in that sense, there's no consequence. You can, you can potentially later understand the social relevance of it if you uh, bring it into the real life context of that social issue. But before you do that, and I actually, I don't talk too much about social issues until we actually play with the mathematics first. Um, and that allows them not to necessarily have a judgment before we actually do the mathematics, but we play with the mathematics. We ask what if questions, we explore the mathematizing to understand implications of different choices. And then we apply it to the social issue and think about, okay, well, when you did in fact double the size of this district, what was the outcome? If you, when you did change this column of numbers uh, to a different set of numbers, what, what did that mean? Um, and what could that mean socially? I think that's the power of mathematics is that you're not tied to anything in particular uh, when you're doing the mathematizing. But then when you relate it to the social issue, that's, that's when the really interesting discussion comes out and they're already aware of the foundational sort of relevance of the kinds of decision-making they've made. That's interesting. I, I think the, the, the two words that came into my mind when you were speaking was, it's almost sounds like it's mathematical informatics, you know, because in the sciences, mm -hmm. they have something called bioinformatics where you're asking the what if question and you're trying to just gather as much information as possible, you know, to have somewhat of a picture before right. you go out there and get the real thing. So that kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, we're nearing the end of our podcast session. I do want to ask you one last question is that, um, for any, you know, emerging scholars or even future graduate students who are interested in pursuing um, your particular field and in, you know, not, not only pursuing mathematics as like, you know, in, in my introduction that says that it's only just mere numbers, that's actually more than that. It's more than just equations on a sheet. Um, what last thoughts can you share with them who they want to, where they want to pursue your particular field? Well, I think... You know, in my over 20 years of experience in teaching mathematics, I've really um, come across so many students who have so many strengths, but also a lot of struggles. And as I said before, my interest is in trying to work with these students um, and people in general to sort of see mathematics, to see mathematics as something um, much bigger than, as you said, numbers and algorithms, um, that it does involve um, imagining seeing a mathematical scenario differently than it's presented to you and, and playing with, with the, uh, the what ifs and the ideas within that particular math problem. And so uh, really my, my interest is in working with people and trying to get them to not necessarily learn a curriculum or to you know, know their times tables, but to explore the world mathematically. And so I suppose I would suggest then to emerging scholars or people interested in this area is to, to sit down with people and to teach them, to, to either tutor um, if the opportunity arises to volunteer to teach um, and to really pay attention to what it is the students are um, attending to and what they're thinking. And um, 
what they're interested in and what they struggle with. And I find that extremely intriguing because it's a intractable, unending perennial issue. And it, it, it always leads to something rich and interesting because everyone's different. And so I would say um, work with people um, in, 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 in working with mathematics and just sort of inquire what, what is it that they're doing and um, to pose some inquiry questions and explore those. Excellent advice. Very inspiring. And on, on that note, I just wanted to end it with maybe for some of our listeners and maybe including myself is that I know throughout the podcast, um, we've used the word mathematics, the entire term. And a lot of, you know, my peers and everybody, we always use, we always use the word math. Is there a difference? Uh, yeah, I think there is. But I think in the early Greek uh, I, word for math, it represents um, general knowledge. So a polymath, for instance, is someone who's good at a lot of things. Um, and so math is this general word that represents lots of different things. And then, but uh, so mathematics is specifically the, the, this, the discipline we study in school. That's great. I mean, on that note, uh, well, <laughs> it brings our, the close for our podcast, but it's a very interesting tidbit because those two words almost are used like, you know, synonymously sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, thank you, Sean, so much for joining us on this podcast uh, episode for the Research Hub. We've learned so much. I've learned so much, and so. About, especially about gerrymandering. It's really interesting. I've been hmm. looking forward to talking to you about this for, for quite some time. So um, thank you again, and thank you for our list, to our listeners who are listening to us today. Um, and hope that you check out our other podcast episodes on our website. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.